Hey, before we get started with this week's episode, I want to take just a minute to pay my respects to a very old and dear friend uh, who just passed away, uh, Mr. Kevin Love. Uh, Kevin Love was a canopy uh, pilot competitor from back in the day, uh, a super active jumper his entire life, uh, instructor, wingsuiter extraordinaire. Uh, he and I had a shitload of very fun, very stupid, very crazy adventures together, and uh, I and a lot of other people are really going to miss knowing that he's out there. So, uh, uh, Kevin, uh, we'll see you on the flip side, man. Blue skies. Choose life, choose a sport, choose a drop zone, choose a start time, choose a fucking big jump plane, choose turbine engines, speed, unlimited altitude, and endless horizons. Choose height, no low turns, and travel insurance. Choose jump tickets, choose tiny action cameras, choose your mates, choose a rig and matching helmet, choose swoop shorts and a range of fucking fabrics, choose 120 vertical speed and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch, watching debriefs, spirit-saving slow-mos, smashing beers after last load. Choose standing on the podium at the end of it all. Choose a win you'll love every time. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you fly NZ Aerosports? Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And no preamble, just straight to it. Tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? Uh, well, my name is Amber and I am professional skydiver. Um, I'm currently down here in Portugal, Europe. And uh, I was supposed to be here doing lots of skydiving and creating cool videos and training and... Uh, now we're in quarantine. Oh, man. <laughs> it's not been nice anywhere. Everybody's uh, – um, I, I have the most unique year ever to do podcasts because nobody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. I think in, in many ways for me, the, the last two years has not exactly been how I expected them to be. Um, right. But – many ways like the the coronavirus and all these quarantines and having to stay at home has uh, forced me to do a lot of things that I wouldn't have necessarily done otherwise and uh, it's kind of feels like it's brought the whole the rest of the world into my uh, slow-paced life the last two years <laughs> sure sure well we're actually going to get into that I've got a, a quite a few questions because you've got a hell of a story but I want to kind of dive into uh, how you got started in extreme sports and and how you kind of ended up where you are now um, kind of at the cutting edge of some of the skydiving that's going on. So tell me, how, how did you get into it all? Um, well, I grew up uh, with three older brothers who were professional BMXs and a dad that is, uh, has been riding motorbikes his whole life. Yep. So uh, my dad was kind of our coach growing up when we were racing BMX. <clears throat> and um, I guess that kind of set the standard for what I was going to do with my life. Um, I decided quite early on that I didn't want to follow my brothers in, in their BMX kind of profession. Mm. Uh, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But I, I wanted it to be something special or extreme or, or different. I, I never really wanted to kind of fit in with what everybody else was doing. Uh, so I set off on a journey when I was 18 years old uh, to Australia, actually. Mm. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> And I just... Tried out a bunch of different visited places and strange islands and hung out with people that I would have never usually hung out with. Uh, I tried skydiving actually for the first time. And uh, it, it took a while, but uh, over two and a half years of traveling, I, I kind of realized that yes, I think skydiving is the thing that I, I want to really get stuck into. And uh, at the time, I was, I was 21 when I decided, like, yes, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I remember thinking, like, oh, God, I'm getting old. Like, I'm running out of time. I need to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Um, so, so I kind of decided, like, yes, I'm going to do this. And I, and I wanted to be professional like my brothers were in BMX. Hmm. 
they were kind of my inspiration growing up, but I kind of wanted to recreate what they did in my own way. So you um, you made your first jump and then it kind of took a while to soak in that that's where you wanted to go? Or did you land and go, oh, fuck, that's for me? Well, I remember I remember like the, the experience really well, like sitting in the airplane for the first time. Uh, I think anybody that's been in a skydiving airplane for the first time has uh, will have the same experience. It's kind of like this thing feels like it's about to fall apart. <laughs> it's really noisy. It's vibrating in the... It, it feels kind of sketchy, actually. And uh, I was just 18 years old by myself, just signed up for this thing. I remember sitting there and thinking, like, oh, is this actually okay? Like, <laughs> am, I, am I doing something wrong? Or, like, what is this? And uh, I remember looking around and just seeing, like, all these guys, like, doing tandems and filming and, and kind of, like, none of them seemed very phased about what they were doing. They were just kind of going about their business like uh, normal. Sure. And I remember like seeing that and being quite, not touched, but quite like uh, influenced by it. Like uh, not necessarily for skydiving, but just in general that it was possible to have like such a bizarre extreme job and, and go about it like normal. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm sure most people have had something similar. I certainly did. I remember looking around at those guys making, uh, making these jumps for a living where I'm sitting in the airplane, shitting my pants and, and, you know, trying to keep it together. And one of them was falling half asleep because we were in a Cessna and the other was reading a book. And I remember being astounded at what I equated to, I don't know, bravery or something. It just was this very attractive thing that they had that they were so nonchalant about, but we could die, you know? Yeah, I remember thinking the same thing. I remember we were about to get out, the door opened, and it was all kind of loud and, and hectic, and, and one guy jumped, like uh, climbed out of the, the door and stood out on the camera step. And at the time, I was like, wow, what is he doing? And he had this really weird-looking jacket on with, like, wings from the – from the hands down to the hips. And uh, he kind of looked like he thought he looked really cool. But to me, he looked like such a dork. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, kind of cool because he was doing such a crazy thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was my first experience of it. And it was an amazing experience. Like, I, I honestly don't remember a lot. Uh, it was quite intense. But um, I remember when the parachute opened, that was such a classic. Uh, I told the town master, wow, you have the best job in the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's pretty standard. <laughs> yeah, it definitely left an impression on me, that's for sure. So, no, when you decided, hey, the, the skydiving is the route that I want to go, this is a couple of years after that first jump. Um, mm -hmm. How did you, I mean, did you have a plan? Did you research it or did you just belly up to a drop zone and go, okay, I'm here? Well, I actually... I moved to New Zealand after being in Australia, traveling, and uh, I met uh, a guy, and he just started doing his AFF course, or he just finished his AFF, and he was uh, working as a packer and like slowly getting into filming tandems and stuff, and uh, I just rocked up and we we started hanging out a lot, and and I was like working in the local bar and kind of not really knowing what I was doing, but trying to figure my life out. And um, over a year of spending time with him, I, I, was, I was actually focusing a lot on yoga. And I had this realization one day that I was like, he just came back from a boogie in Australia called Funny Farm. You may have heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he came back and, and he, was, he was so stoked. Like he'd had so much fun. And I'd just been at home doing yoga every day. And I was like, oh, this yoga thing is cool. Like for sure, I still do yoga, but... I was like, I'm doing something wrong here. Like, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm way too calm all the time. Like, I needed more excitement. Like, what he came home with really inspired me. And I was like, damn, like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where people are skydiving and I, I have a boyfriend that's actually skydiving and is super inspired. Like, maybe I should give this thing a go. Hmm. And um, I basically just decided in that moment, like, I'm going to work for a year and, and, uh, and, <laughs> together me and my boyfriend he he uh took his aff course mm. and uh we, we figured to go together to lodi in california <laughs> and uh, do as many as <laughs> we, we just i didn't really do an aff course he kind of just well i mean he did my aff course but we kind of just went to lodi and started jumping together <laughs> and uh <laughs> 
You know, it cracks me up because I know so many people because I, I ended up working for Skydance in Davis, which is just a stone's throw course away from Lodi. And I actually flew for Bill for a while when the FAA had grounded all his aircraft because of all kinds of stuff. And so many amazing skydivers spent time in Lodi, which is still the sketchiest operation in history. And either you love Lodi or you hate Lodi, but everybody has an experience with Lodi. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really stoked to be able to say that I learned to skydive in Lodi. <laughs> There should be a t-shirt, though. I survived learning how to skydive in Lodi. <laughs> so, no, I, I had an amazing experience, it was, and I, I like the place. I mean, Bill is a complete madman, but uh, the whole experience was, was just perfect. It was it was awesome. Now, when were you there? What years? Uh, it was 2013. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I actually was flying for Bill, I, I want to say, in 2010, so I missed you by a few years. Yeah, okay. Very cool. I, by the way, I haven't even asked. You're from where originally? I'm actually born in England. Okay, because I'm trying – your accent's kind of all over the place. It's funny. <laughs> you've done a lot of traveling, but that's not just English anymore. How long has it been since you've lived in England? I left England when I was 18, one week after my 18th birthday. All right, fair uh, enough. I haven't really been back. Fair enough. All right. Well, then that's why I'm. I was confused. All right. All right. So, Lodi, you decide you're gonna you're gonna go to 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 Lodi to learn how to skydive, and you're still alive, which is awesome. When did you start working in the sport? Uh, well, kind of immediately, actually. Like I, I, I was working on the reception at a drop zone in New Zealand, and uh, they told me at the drop zone that if I could pack tandems. And if I had over a hundred skydives, that I could start skydiving at that drop zone, mm. and I would be able to pack tandems and slowly start working into like the camera filming and stuff. Um, so that was kind of my mission with going to Lodi was to go there and get over a hundred skydives so that I could come home and start working in skydiving, working my ass off. And, and every night I was packing a, a tandem and a sport rig. Um, so I was trying to get and pack these rigs as fast as possible so that I could go to Lodi, pack my own canopy. Um, and then when I came home, I would be able to pack tandems and, uh, and slowly start uh, filming. And I mean, Lodi was the perfect place because I had like 50 skydives and we jumped with tandems and practice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lodi is the perfect place when when rules need not apply, and you can just get out and do your thing. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, let's face it. Lodi was the cheapest damn skydive anywhere in the country at the time. You could go jump your ass off in a place like that and live on the cheap pretty well. Mm. So you. you you had a, I mean, you you kind of formed a plan pretty quickly. You decided, all right, nope, this is what I'm going to do, and you kind of you almost went the standard path. You hit it and went, all right, I need to pack, and then I needed to shoot video. So when did you start jumping for a living? Because you did the manifest stuff. I'm assuming when you got back to New Zealand, you were in the air then. Yeah, I went. Uh, so when I got back to New Zealand, I, I was no longer working on the manifest or reception, and uh, I was basically packing full time. Um, and then doing a little bit of editing when they needed it. And then uh, it, it was perfect because it was a port to the airplane. And quite often we would have uh, four tandems uh, with Handicam. So there was one spot available on the plane. And when there was that spot available, I was allowed to just jump on the plane and go for either a solo or I could practice filming the tandems. Nice. Um, so I, I just took every opportunity I could to, to film the tandems, and then I would just try and sell it to the customers afterwards. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Now, was jumping something that came naturally for you, the skills involved, or uh, and the mentality? Was it something that you had to, um, you know, fight fear or anything like that, or um, did you kind of slide into it pretty comfortably? Uh, I would say like the free fall part of it, like, uh, came quite naturally to me. It like. I've always been quite body aware and I, and I like to dance and move and kind of flow around on my body. Um, so that side of it was, was quite natural, I would say. Um, the whole like 
being in a dangerous environment or kind of like taking high amounts of risk was not something that I was particularly used to. Um, but I, I was kind of exposed to it from, from growing up with my three older brothers and my dad. So I, I knew that if you, if you practice, then you can be good at it. Mm. But it was definitely a process for me to learn how to trust myself in uh, like fast-paced scenarios. Like if something went wrong, I wasn't sure if I would be able to deal with it accordingly. Uh, sure. And that really scared me. Sure. Well, that unknown, I mean, without a doubt, I, uh, I, I was recently talking to this guy you may have heard of called Espen, um, who was telling me yeah. about, yeah, I think you know who he is. Uh, he, I guess he grew up doing a lot of climbing and all this stuff. And so he had never really dealt with fear until he started to go skydive. And that, that's always my favorite part of talking to any of the rock stars in, in skydiving and base jumping is when they're like, no, nope, I was shit in my pants. Because us mortals like knowing that the, the gods above us actually get scared of that stuff. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, I try not to compare myself too much to Espen. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, 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 no. Well, we, this is about you, not him. <laughs> well, he, he's, uh, he's kind of like this undercover extreme dude. <laughs> That's actually a really like, good way to put it. Yeah, like you, you don't uh, when when you speak to him or like um, when I met him for the first time or or you know the way he presents himself is not extreme or kind of like gnarly. He's super calm and down to earth and and uh, I don't know. He, he doesn't seem like he does what he does. No. And uh, and then when you spend time with him and you see like how skilled he is and how much. Uh, how good he is at risk assessment and and kind of performing these extreme things at such a high and precise level is is like well so <laughs> he's he's quite exceptional i would say yeah i mean it's kind of funny because in talking to him quite frankly if you didn't know what he did and you hadn't seen his exploits i would have thought he was a coder or an insurance guy <laughs> Right. I mean, he just seems he's very mellow and seems very methodical. And you wouldn't think that this guy is hucking himself off of all this different stuff and, you know, doing this intense stuff. And then you watch the videos and go, oh, shit. <laughs> but the thing is, people yeah. are watching your exploits and thinking the exact same thing when they see your videos and your clips. So although you might not think of him that way, other people are thinking the same thing about you. Yeah, I guess everything is relative. For sure. For sure. I mean, and I'll tell you what, let's skip over some of the boring shit. Yeah, you became a working skydiver and you did this and that and the other thing. You do some pretty over-the-top stuff. Um, I mean, you do the kind of stuff that skydivers are like, that's fucking intense. So how did you when, – when did it come about that you kind of s stepped it up and took it to the next level and really started going big? Um, well, it's been quite gradual, actually. And I didn't, uh, I didn't necessarily expect that I would end up where I am. I guess I, I guess we never do really. Um, but uh, after being in New Zealand, I, I started working in a wind tunnel in Sydney, in Australia, mm. and I worked there for about two and a half years. And, and during my time there, I, I just flew as much as I possibly could, and I, I really enjoyed working on all the fine details of flying. Uh, kind of like I love repetition, just doing things over and over and over and over and working on perfection. Um, so I spent two and a half years doing that. Uh, but at the time in Australia, it wasn't really considered a woman's job to be a tunnel instructor. Mm. Um, so I actually worked on the reception again there. So I kind of took a step back uh, out of like being active in skydiving. Um, to be honest, I hated it. <laughs> I, I like to be hands-on. I don't deal well with uh, sitting on a reception, watching all the guys have fun. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's never really been my, my style. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was willing to do it uh, because I could see that it was, it was giving me the skills I needed to, to kind of move into a more professional lifestyle in air sport. Hmm. Um, I, I actually I had a, a bad knee injury. Um, and that kind of messed me up and kind of held me back a little bit during like my process towards stepping more into like instruction in skydiving. Um, and then eventually I, I met a guy called Dave Reader. Um, I'm not sure if you remember him, but, uh, he, he was working in Norway in Voss at the tunnel. Uh, he's also from England, a couple years older than me. 
And uh, he was very good friends with Espen. They were doing a lot of wingsuit based jumping together. And uh, he, I'm not really sure why he did it, but he kind of just really believed in me and chose to help and support me. And, and he helped me move to Voss in Norway and he helped me to get a, a job in the wind tunnel as an instructor. Awesome. Um, so in 2016, I kind of took that step uh, to move to Voss as a freelance uh, tunnel instructor. I didn't really get a job. I was just kind of like hanging around and uh, saying yes to everything. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And, um, and uh, yeah, then I started, I kind of, I mean, it was super scary to move to Norway. Like I didn't know anybody. Um, I, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, but I was just really committed to my idea of becoming an instructor. And I really believed that Norway was, first of all, going to be the place that would make that dream reality. And also could be my home like I, I wanted to find somebody somewhere that, that felt like home where I could kind of build up myself in the way that I wanted to and involve myself in the things that I felt inspiring mm. so in 2016 that was kind of like the big step where, where I took a step into being professional in skydiving and uh, that was kind of the, the same time that things started to get a little bit extreme I guess um, <laughs> Well, I mean, you you move to some place like Voss, and it's kind of hand in glove that it's probably going to start to ramp up a little bit. I mean, it's not exactly known for you know lazy Sunday strolls. Oh, it can be nice for that as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it must have been really nice to be able to get out of the environment in Australia where you were being held back just because you were a woman. Uh, to being able to go to some place like Voss and kind of beat your own path, um, you know, and and uh, push forward. That must have been pretty uh, um, pretty liberating. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think of it in many ways. Like I remember, I left Australia. I went to Funny Farm. I, I jumped a lot and partied, and then I left and came to to Norway. And I remember I kept saying to everybody, my life is about to begin. <laughs> it's, it's about to begin. And I was like, calm down, Amber. Like, life is already here. Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, no, this is, this is it. I guess in many ways I was um, – I, I spent a long time being quite unhappy uh, because I was so driven by a, a different type of future. And, and that future that I really wanted was a future where I could really uh, – find my potential in, in flying and, and just do every day what I really love doing. Um, I look back at this period, it's kind of a strange time because in many ways it was the best time of my life to build up to that period. But another another way, I just constantly felt like I was being held back from, from what I really wanted. Mm. So when the time finally came that I was going to move to Voss and I was going to be a tunnel instructor and I was going to be like free and, and able to do what I love, it was, uh, yeah amazing and I mean it, it was everything I dreamed it was going to be like uh, I turned up to Voss and there's always badass girls working in the tunnel and skydiving and like skiing and downhill mountain biking all, all this stuff and I'm like wow this place is super cool like there's um, men and women that are doing rad shit every day sure. so it, it was pretty inspiring do you think uh, um, I'm not going to uh, to bag on Australia too bad but do you think that was part of the environment there was what was holding you back is it a uh, was it a cultural thing that they you weren't getting the advancement as a woman I don't I don't want to make that judgment against Australia because I have a lot of really good friends from Australia yeah, and that I are not uh, like uh, it, not everybody is like sexist there or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but my experience of working in an iFly tunnel in Australia was that men had more opportunity than women. Hmm. Um, and that was something that made me really sad. And, and it took away meaning in my life. And, and it, uh, it was not... Um, it was not something that I could spend any more time doing. It was like I feel I feel like I spent as much time as I could do there without uh, completely losing myself. Sure. Well, and that's probably one of the hardest decisions to make is to walk away from something, especially if it's something that you really want and you kind of thought that that was the direction. But I mean, you ended yeah. up in you ended up in Voss, which was I mean, ultimately incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, I think there's something to learn from everything that happens. 
And uh, I, I take a lot of really positive things from my time in Australia. And I mean, I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for that time. And, and you can't always have everything awesome all the time. For sure. Um, and that being said, like now there's a lot of female instructors in Australia. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if it was just me or if I was dealing with the situation in the wrong way or whatever. But uh, for me, it, it it just wasn't the place. And, and I feel much more at home in Norway. So I'm really happy with my decision to move there. Oh, I would imagine. Absolutely. I I don't know. I, 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 I suppose I've always had a slightly sideways view of skydiving and tunnel flying and all that because almost from the beginning, my coworkers and teammates and instructors were predominantly female. I was uh, in a sky surf team with a female sky surfer and, and uh, the best tunnel instructor I've ever worked with was a woman. So I've always just assumed that a female skydiver is going to be dramatically better than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, they usually are. Well, uh, skydiving is a lot like flying and a lot of other things that require finesse. Men try and muscle shit, and women actually take the time to learn how to finesse it and do it dramatically better most of the time. Yeah. Not always, but yeah. most of the time. So when did you uh, – uh, uh, please, please, go ahead, go ahead. I don't want to talk over you. Well, no, I think uh, for me perhaps part of it is is growing up with three older brothers and kind of – like in my childhood, like and like doing BMX and and kind of always feeling a bit uh, less than them or never really able to keep up with them. Like when they go from BMX racing to freestyle, and I'm trying to do that too, but I'm ten years younger than them. Hmm. Um, and and I think I in in many ways, not on purpose, but was almost conditioned to feel like I wasn't able to to keep up with the boys. Sure. Um. So. I'm not sure, but maybe that kind of led, uh, and I'm still kind of like that now. Like I want to, I want to, I want to do all the things that people do, I, I, and I want to be as good as people are. I don't want to be as good as just women, or you know. I, I think we should all, we should all support each other to just collectively enjoy and, and be really good at what we do. Sure. There shouldn't be a different operation. Absolutely. I, I was lucky enough to have uh, Cornelia Mihai uh, sit in the studio with me and talk about uh, her stuff and Olga Namova as well, a couple of CP pilots. And both of them are adamant that they never, ever want to see a separation between uh, male and female in that uh, uh, in that realm of competition. And I completely agree. Uh, skydiving in general, I, I never did understand why there was a separation between male and female. It's, it's skydiving. We're not powerlifting. We're doing amazing things falling gravity's doing the work i'm not going to trying to pick up a car <laughs> you know so for sure now when did you decide you were going to go jump off of big rocks <laughs> <laughs> well i i honestly didn't think about it so much before i moved to norway i was pretty interested to learn how to speed fly actually mm. i was kind of like yeah speed flying in norway that's going to be cool like i, I felt like i had a lot of uh, skill in free fly, like in free fall, but not a lot of skill in the the canopy piloting. And um, so, uh, speed flying was something that I was mainly interested in. And I watched a few people speed flying and, and whatnot, and then I saw some people base jumping. And um, when I saw them base jumping, it was almost like the, I felt this connection to that more so than speed flying. I guess I'm leaning more on the things that I'm uh, more skilled in. Um, but in Norway, there's so many big mountains, and, and I was like, I just remember thinking for the first time, like, I could actually do that. Like, for sure, I could do that. Mm. And I think before, I always just felt like, nah, that's too extreme. Like, I'm not good enough to do that. Or I could always kind of like put myself down and doubted that I was or would ever be good enough to, to do that safely. Um, and then when I saw people doing it, I remember thinking, like, and, and and, and naturally kind of like comparing my skill and ability of the people who were doing it and doing it really well. Um, this kind of feeling of belief inside me came up like, you know, I could totally do that. That looks rad. Like, I want to do that. Sure. Uh, no. And at the same time, I, I was, uh, I met Espen. And um, I remember the, I think it was the second time I met him was at the drop zone. And he was doing a first jump course with somebody with the wingsuit. Mm. And uh, it was really cold weather, and he'd forgotten his gloves. Uh, so I offered him my gloves. And he took them, and he jumped, and then he obviously forgot to give them back to me. 
so we had to meet up and get the gloves back and we talked a little bit back and forward and uh and then i just remember thinking maybe flying a wingsuit would be cool <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i just asked him like oh can i book a two day or a day of uh coaching with you I want to learn how to fly wingsuit and, and Aspen was really excited because I, I was an experienced skydiver and I I had I knew how to fly my body and I remember he he got uh, really passionate over the text messaging and he was saying like uh, I got wingsuiting is super fun it's like a roller coaster and you can do all this and that and, that. and then he was like and then base jumping it's, it's so healthy to base jump <laughs> and, and I was like, just, and it was kind of inspiring to to see that he was so passionate about what he was doing, even though he was clearly very skilled mm. and experienced. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, things just started happening. And then uh, over time, Espen agreed to be my mentor. Um, initially, when I said I want a base jump, he, he told me, no, 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 you, you, just, you just stay in the tunnel. You don't need to do that. Calm down. <laughs> And uh, I was like, no, I, I want to do that. And I bought a rig, and I kind of just started doing things. And then, and, and then I think he was like, okay, I will. Uh, I'm going to help you and keep you safe. He didn't want <laughs> you to take the Lodi route to base jumping. <laughs> no. no, I mean, I did quite the opposite in base jumping, to be honest. Well, I mean. <sighs> Base jumping was something that I thought was attractive uh, uh, up until I knew I was going to be a dad. And then I decided not to base jump um, out of this responsibility kind of feeling that I had. And then I decided not to base jump because it looks really fucking scary. <laughs> so for yeah. for as cool as it looks, I kind of – I think there's that magic age that you hit where you happen to have the age and the ability and the skill to go out and start doing stuff like that. And I missed that gate. And – went a little bit too far, <laughs> which is fine. Cause now I get to talk to you guys and be impressed with what's going on and even actually know what I'm talking about without actually doing it, which is awesome. Nice. It's a good to, to have, to be, ha to, to be happy on other people's behalf. Yes, absolutely. It's um, I'm constantly thrilled and amazed, and, and I've said it before on the podcast, the coolest thing about me are my friends and the people that I get to talk to um, because so many amazing uh, cutting edge things are being done that I get to feel associated with and almost have a, a little piece of ownership in it because I'm kind of part of that community. Um, and I think most jumpers are like that. Like, I mean, you see somebody doing a badass jump, base jump or skydive or whatever, all of us are like, fuck yes, that's amazing. Now I want to go learn how to do it. So it's, it's this shared um, joy over somebody's accomplishments, which is really cool. So now that being said, sure. um, we'll segue from from happy to to uh, um, inspiring in some degree and kind of scary. You you talked at the beginning of the podcast about how you had a two years worth of sitting around and having to rework things. And we all know that this last year has been coronavirus, but your year before coronavirus was down for dramatically different reasons. Yeah. What happened? So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I went on this journey, I figured out what I wanted to do with my life and I went pretty nuts and did a lot of that and uh, <laughs> it feels in many ways that I, I before, so the summer of 2019, I was, uh, I would say almost kind of my, my peak of mm. what I have been doing in air sports. Um, it was a lot. Uh, I think me and Espen traveled to maybe over 30 different countries in the year. Um, and uh, it, it wasn't like chill traveling either. It was like uh, Mexico, Sweden, America, Sweden, uh, China, Norway, Sweden, Norway. Like kind of like this and, and like just constantly like one week or two days in Sweden and back to China. Like completely bizarre. And um, we were having a lot of fun. I mean, we were super tired, but all the things that we were doing were so inspiring, like mm. cool projects and stunts and jobs and training. And, and uh, I mean, it was an insane year. Um, anyway, so in August of 2019, we were competing at the Norwegian Nationals. Um, and it was the last day of the competition. We'd finished competing. I was super tired. I think we all were pretty tired. 
And uh, there was one more jump that we were going to do where we were going to land on a beach and kind of land into the the party on the beach mm. where everybody was waiting. I had beers in my pockets. I was uh, ready to, to chill out and have a nice evening. And uh, I was very tired. I was a bit hungover. I remember I couldn't find my shoes. <laughs> Random. <laughs> right. I was. Uh, I had eaten all day, and I was like trying to eat a bowl of uh, chili while the briefing was happening in Norwegian, mm. uh, which is not my first language. Uh, <laughs> so it was a lot of red lights going off. Sure. And I failed to see any of them. And so I told Espen like, uh, I don't know what's happening. Like, I didn't understand the briefing, and I'm super stressed. Like, can you can you help me? And uh, Espen was like, yeah, it's a super simple jump. We're just landing on this beach. Um, there's there's no wind. Uh, you've done heaps of jumps. Like, you can do this. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. So I hop on the plane, uh, not really thinking too much about it. And it's just a hop and pop. And I open my canopy. Canopy opens fine. And I'm coming in to land on the beach. And, and I, I never check the wind. And there is a lot of wind coming in from the ocean towards the beach and towards a lot of trees. So as I'm coming into land, I, I do my turn a bit low, uh, and then I end up, uh, I'm doing my turn in the wrong place, so the wind pushes me. Uh, I'm not blaming the wind, this is my fault. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I ended up basically just smashing through a bunch of trees and uh, crashing onto the beach. Oof. And um, I... I kind of spiral fractured the, the top half of my femur. Um, my, my spine was dislocated from my sacrum, and my L5 was uh, just completely shattered. Wow. Um, so Espen was the first person to, to get to me. And, I mean, I, I don't know how he does this. I'm super impressed, and I'm really glad that he was there with me. But uh, initially, like, I, I couldn't breathe. Like, I, I actually thought I was suffocating. Mm. And I just looked into Espen's eyes and kind of showed him with my hands, like, I, I, I can't breathe. And he did everything he could and, and kind of cleared my airways and helped me. And eventually, I started breathing. And uh, then he goes around and, and checks my, my leg to see if there's circulation because my, my leg is, is kind of bent at a 45-degree angle with my femur. Mm. And there's no circulation in my legs, so without even thinking, he just puts his foot in between my legs, grabs my foot, and straightens my leg out. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Wow. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't really remember a lot. I remember it happening, but it was all quite hectic, and I knew why he was doing what he was doing, and I appreciated it, but at the same time, I mean, it's not really the right time to right. say thanks. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, anyway, that was all very dramatic, and um, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was laying there like next week. I was supposed to go to Italy to compete at the World Championships, and mm. and there was, you know, the lifestyle was going, but I wasn't on it anymore. Sure. Um, and I mean, in many ways, like leading up to this accident, I I was pretty stressed, and and I wasn't really coping mentally with the amount of stuff we were doing. Mm. Uh, there was a uh, many times like leading up to this that I was just like I, I need to, I just want to run away from all of this stuff, like this amazing dream or this you know I'm living my dream but it it doesn't uh, it doesn't feel like it because it was kind of stressful and and I was putting so much pressure on myself to appreciate this position I'd finally arrived in. Sure. Um, so I remember. I mean, like, it was an hour and a half until help came, and then there's a whole like getting to the hospital, figuring out what's happened, and and you know, getting to a point where you're actually physically stable and you know I'm not bleeding internally, like, uh, I'm sure. going to be okay. Um, and when that moment came, I remember feeling actually relief. <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, finally, I can relax. Wow. And, I mean, it's such a, 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 an intense situation to be in, to have that thought. And and that alone to me was like, if, if that's a way that I'm feeling at this time, then... There is a lot to learn from what I'm about to go through. And, and I think that that thought, uh, it kind of gave me hope and it gave me drive to to uh, just embrace what it was. I mean, I'm not saying that the situation just became amazing, <laughs> for sure not. <laughs> right. Um, 
Like I, I had to have a, I had a 10 hour surgery the next day where they, they, I got the classic like skydiver femur bar. Sure. You know? Sure. <laughs> um, that's something I never wanted to have, but I have that now. <laughs> and uh, the, the lower part of my spine is, um, is fused with uh, five screws and two metal plates. Wow. That's got to make uh, some of the yoga stuff you do a little bit stiffer. Yes. Uh. <laughs> Actually, one of the hardest things for me to accept, and, and I don't uh, expect you to completely understand this, but I had this really cool party trick from when I was really young. And uh, I love doing it in the drop zone. So I would like be on the packing mat packing and then I would just go over into like a crab, you know, like a back bend where you're on your hands and your feet, but you bend over backwards. Sure. And I, I was really good at like almost running around in that position. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I really love doing that and making people laugh. I really, I like being silly and, and making people smile. So I, I remember feeling like, I mean, I can't bend my back anymore. It doesn't bend like that. Sure. So it, it's not possible. I haven't actually tried, but I, I, I don't really need to. But that, that for me was, uh, that's it the- was a hard thing to accept <laughs> because you lose something about your identity that's like deeply rooted in you. Sure. No, no. I can, I can completely understand that part. I'm just trying to get around the fact that I, I, my party trick is being able to touch my toes. <laughs> that's the maximum of my flexibility. So if you bent me into that position, that for me would require surgery. So <laughs> without a doubt, it's funny that you say uh, that one of the things you enjoy is, is acting goofy and, and uh, making people smile. Cause I saw, uh, I think it was an Instagram post of you not that long ago in the weirdest free fall, free fall position I have ever seen kind of half standing, half sitting, butt up in the air, chin up with like a chipmunk face and weird hands, just staying there, chilling, smiling at the camera. And I thought that was the funniest thing. And I assumed that that was a relatively recent jump because I know you started jumping again and are back into it, but it was just, it was fucking hilarious, especially knowing (laughs) everything else that had been going on. So, Um, Yeah, I mean, I've, Actually, I did a jump like that a few days ago, but I think the one you're talking about is before my injury. And uh, it was a jump that I did with uh, Roy Wim. Uh, he's a, I don't know if you if you've heard, I mean, you imagine you've heard of him, but he's a really skilled uh, photographer and videographer in skydiving. And I was in uh, Bovec in Slovenia, beautiful place. And Roy comes to me and he says, Amber, do you want to do a jump with me and I can take some professional photos or video, like whatever you want. Like, I just want to film cool things, it's a beautiful space, like take pictures, whatever. And I was like, yes, let's do that. And he's like, okay, what do you want to do then? And uh, <laughs> I was like, right, I'm going to do four poses and this is what they are. I think that one was called like the – uh, I can't remember the names of them though. They had really funny names. It was like dolphin, the salamander, or like all these weird <laughs> things. And uh, it was ridiculous. I was laughing so much in Fruitful. And uh, I, th- I think still to date, that is the most fun scout I've ever, ever done. How funny is that, right? <laughs> it was all the all the epic stuff that you do and, and uh, all these different jumps and the ones that always stand out, at least all my favorite ones that stand out are the ones that either went horribly wrong or were just mm-hmm. no plan, completely goofy, kind of off the wall stuff. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. I think we, we end up taking it so seriously what we do. Hmm. Like, uh, I mean, especially like in tunnel flying, everyone's focusing on having their heels together and being straight and and looking cool and turning their feet out to the side so you look like a dolphin or whatever it is. And, uh, I mean, it's cool, like, uh, for sure, like, it's it's fun to work on these fine details and stuff. But, man, it's important sometimes to take a step back and remember, like, this is – we need to have fun. We need to be goofy. We need to laugh together. Like, uh, jump out the plane and, I don't know, do something ridiculous and, and have sure. fun. I, that's what I like doing anyway. No, I mean, I think that's a huge lesson people should learn. I mean, I was the stereotypical. I I started working in the sport right away. And next thing you knew, I had more than 8,000 tandems. And I kind of liked what I did, but it was just a job. And and I had never really been a fun jumper. 8,000 jumps, and I didn't know what being a fun jumper was like. And then I took a big, long break and uh, – 
didn't start skydiving and get until the idea made me nervous. Uh, and then yeah. for the first time after, you know, 18 years in the sport, I was making fun jumps. And it, it was a, a very liberating thing. First off, not working in the sport, but just being a fun jumper. And then more importantly, realizing I was never going to be the best at any portion of any of it. Like getting in a wind tunnel for me is fantastic because I suck. I've got nothing to do but get better. No one is impressed with me. So all I get to do is just go have fun, which is amazing. Mm. It's important, but yeah. I, that's that's very cool that you recognize that as well because I see so many people at the top of their game that kind of seem to have forgotten why they started doing it in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think that happens. Uh, it happens to people all the time sure. in everything. Um, like, like being down here in Portugal now, I, I've had a, a lot of really interesting realizations, and, and one of them is that uh, in skydiving, we, we like to party. And, and we, we like to use things to make partying even more fun. Sure. And uh, it, it's what skydivers do. We get fucked up. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and party. And it, it's kind of like I've had this experience of going to boogies and uh, I'm traveling the next day and I don't want to I don't want to party so hard. I want to stay sober and I want to be fresh the next day. Mm. And, and it's almost like people forget how to unleash and really like be themselves without drinking or whatever. Sure. And since being here in Portugal, I decided like this this new year, like I'm gonna drink, but I'm gonna drink in moderation. Mm. Like I'm gonna have a beer here and there, but I'm not gonna drink excessively. And and I'm gonna stay sober at the parties. Like sometimes, just go to the party, stay sober, and dance. Mm. Like dance harder than everybody else, but just go for it. <laughs> and. And quite often, it's really difficult to get up and start dancing on the dance floor because you, you're, you're worried about what people are going to think about you or whatever. But I remember being 10 years old and going to the school disco and dancing my ass off yeah. for hours. I never thought about what anybody was thinking about me. Right. So why, why do we start caring now? And, and I think, like, for me, it's been, it's been kind of challenging, actually, to dance sober and like, not care what people think about me. But the more you do it, the better you get. Sure. And I, it's... it's yeah, it's a muscle that you have to train. I mean, like last night we, we were sitting in the living room here where I'm living. We were all really full after eating too much dinner and we're super tired. We've been like out exercising and working on our computers and whatever through the day. And uh, my housemate just turns the music up and I was like, yeah, this is an awesome song. And, uh, and then I like kind of started dancing and then he turned it back down again. I was like, what are you doing? Turn it up. It's awesome. And he turned it up and then another friend stood up and started dancing and I started dancing properly. And then before we knew it, we pushed the table to the side and one another friend had gone to a friend's house and picked up like a bigger, heavier speaker. And we, we ended up out in the garden uh, with the speaker on like full blare. And we danced for like three hours straight. How awesome is that? All completely sober. And I was just like, this is awesome. Like we need to do this more because, because then you're really, you're really doing it because you want to. Sure. And, and you're making a choice to not care and just to truly be yourself. And there's nothing more liberating than that for I, me anyway. You no, know, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. It's kind of funny because that's a muscle we seem to lose as soon as we're old enough or have the ability to have the alcohol or the other chemical entertainment that we get involved in makes it so much easier that that muscle that gets you out there in the first place just gets soft and you forget that it's okay to go be goofy. And the whole world became this social media. I have to appear to be living my best life at all times and can't look silly or can't look stupid or, or this or that. Yeah. And I, I kind of, that's, uh, it's a horrible thing that's happened because some of the best things that have ever happened to me were when I was being an idiot. Yeah, for sure. I just need to put my laptop on charging. <laughs> no, please, please. Absolutely. Now, um, I know that, uh, you had a hell of a recovery, um, and it took you, well, the better part of a year to really get going again. Uh, but you have started jumping again. Uh, in fact, you started base jumping again as well, didn't you? Yes, I did. How did that feel? Oh, well, I mean, it's it's been a big, uh, a long journey to get back into jumping. Mm. And it was a journey that I wasn't really even sure if it was going to happen. Mm. Um, so um, for me, being someone that's always been very driven by like an end goal, like everything I've been doing, like become a skydiver, become professional, become an instructor. And I keep making myself these goals and I get to them. 
And then once I get to them, I'm happy for a little bit, but then I have to work towards the next one. Sure. So I think in many ways I've had a very unhealthy connection to achieving my dreams. Like I have this like, deep failure, uh, fear of failure, which has kind of driven me to achieve the things I want to achieve. But then I've never really harnessed the ability to thoroughly enjoy the journey. Mm. And it's like classy. The, it's the journey, not the destination. But uh, it, it really is true. Yeah. And I think like that when I when I got injured, like it, it's no longer about where you're gonna get to. You have no idea where you're gonna get to. Like mm, your spine is dislocated. Like you need to have this operation. You may not even be able to walk when you wake up in the morning. Mm. Like everything is so uncertain and in that point it's like it's not about it's not about the end state anymore it's about your life sure so i think like that's one of the kind of harshest lessons that that i got from from being so injured uh is uh, i mean i still have a lot of dreams and goals and i work towards them but i'm i've been forced to enjoy what's happening now because i don't know what's going to happen in the future sure and and I initially, like, I was like, yes, I'm going to skydive in six months after the injury. Because uh, they told me, like, the bone, bones can take six months to heal, so blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yes, six months. I planned, I booked flights to go to the land. I was going to do a canopy course with Jeannie. I, yeah, everything was booked. And uh, I told my team, Espen and Andreas, uh, my team, uh, yeah, we're going to go. We're going to start training, and then we're going to go to the world championship. I was, like, setting everything up, like, Six months gone, my back. And the six months mark mark comes, and and I'm I'm ready next week. I'm gonna go to the land, and my surgeon calls me and he says, yeah, I've just had a look at your X-ray, and uh, your your spine has started to dislocate again, um, and the bone that we took from your into your spine has not grown yet. So you have basically like your L5 is a piece of bone from your hip that is not uh, secure and the spine is unstable. Ooh. Uh, and like your femur is doing okay, but it's for sure not healed. Um, yeah. And I was like, what? No, that can't be. Like, I'm going to the land next week. Like <laughs> this is not what I had planned. Right. And he was basically like, well, like if you, if you crash now or you have a hard opening, uh, and something happens to your spine, like you, you will either immediately be uh, paralyzed or you may have to have another surgery which may never get the result that you could have had right now. Mm. Um, and another thing was like, we don't even know if this is going to heal. Like this bone may never take. Like you may end up in this situation for the rest of your life. Wow. And they couldn't tell me anything. I was like, oh, you have to just wait, be careful. Like, don't don't fall. And I'd just gotten out of the wingsuit tunnel doing barrel rolls and all this crazy stuff in my freak. Like <laughs> So I was like, oh God, like uh, what am I what am I doing? I need to calm down. Like but it was super hard. Like when people started asking me maybe or maybe you should make a backup plan. Maybe you should figure out something else that you're gonna do if you can't skydive anymore. And I was like, no, fuck that I'm not I, I don't want to do anything else. Like, yeah, I was pretty mm. like, it was so hard to accept that I may not be able to do this or, or I for sure can't do it right now. Um, so anyway, I had to kind of rethink and reset my goals. And uh, even though the surgeon had told me, yeah, yeah, you just wait for one year and then you're probably going to be okay to skydive. I was like, no, I'll wait three more months. And then I'm going to, so I planned everything again. I was going to start skydiving in three more months. And I went through the whole same thing again when they told me, no, it's still not healed. You need to wait three more months. And every time I was like setting myself these goals and I was getting let down. Mm. I, I wasn't used to it. It was really hard for me. And I, I was kind of losing hope. And I could almost see that Espen was almost doubting if I was going to make it as well. And that was even harder for me. Mm. And um, and then I, I had to have another operation on my knee because the screws were catching on my muscle and all, all these things happened in the year that was just constantly setting me back. And through through the year when I kept having these setbacks, it was kind of like it, it, it hit me, but uh, every time I kind of stood up and kept going again, it gave me this new clarity on how I wanted to build my life and how I wanted to get back into doing what I was doing before. And over time, I, there's an analogy that I like to use. 
before I got injured, I was on this train. This train was going really fast, and I couldn't get off. Mm. And the train was like filled with ego and stress, and and, and, and just obsession and, and motivation. And, and it was just headed in a, on a fast way towards what I essentially. I basically just ended up standing on the back of this train, just screaming, and I just fell off. And, and where I landed was basically just horrible to begin with. Uh, I don't sure. want to be here. Like, this is a horrible, ugly place. Like, uh, there's nothing for me here. And, and then over the story, it's like, beautiful. And it's always been beautiful. And, and there's a lot for me to do here. I don't need to be running around the world constantly keeping up with all these other people. And uh, I found myself uh, spending 14 months in Norway. Uh, me and Esper moved into our new home and we were going fishing and I was hiking and I had the most amazing time ever. Mm. And almost for a moment there, I forgot about skydiving. I for sure didn't forget about it fully, but uh, <laughs> all the other things, was it was almost like, oh God, like, how am I going to find time for skydiving again? Sure. And I think for me, that was a, that was a huge step uh, to kind of find peace with my life and, and what I do and why I do it. And... Uh, after 14 months, I was told by the surgeon that I was good to go and I could skydive again. And the very next day, I went and did a hop and pop. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wanted to check that uh, things were working and I wasn't going to suddenly dislocate or something. And uh, um, that, that jump for me was really powerful. Hmm. I was so nervous, like so so scared. Like in the morning, I was like, I almost couldn't eat. Like I was freaking out totally. <laughs> like a... It was so much psychological in, in my head from from what I'd done. And yeah, so anyway, when the time came, I went to the drop zone and I put myself on a load. I think it was like a 40-minute call. And I just got ready and, and I, I couldn't really talk to anybody. Everyone was like, oh, you're doing it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, leave me alone. <laughs> uh, it was super intense. Doing a hop and pop. Um, and I, I jumped out and I pulled and everything actually – it actually felt surprisingly normal. Hmm. And, and when I landed, Espen was waiting for me in the landing area. And I just remember I couldn't say anything. It was like, uh, it was really powerful. You know, like to, to finally, after so long time of not knowing if you're ever going to be able to do it again, and, you, and then you finally do it. And, and in that moment, this deep love and passion for what I do was, was really reborn, but in a, a much more balanced and healthy way. Hmm. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm really thankful for that because I think in a, in a way, like I wasn't really burnt out, but I was definitely not enjoying the way things were before the injury, and it's given me a chance to take a step back and rebuild what I do in a way that I can handle, enjoy, and also be creative and and and, and it's sustainable. I, I will be able to do this for many, many more years. Yeah, it sounds like you were heading down a path that one way or another was going to end and you're either not liking what you were doing much anymore or just not doing it anymore. Uh, so for as, yeah. as horrible as the injury was, it, it sounds to me like it was the kind of mental reset that you needed. Yeah, I, I think so in many ways. It's it's almost it's almost hard to admit that still because sure. it's uh, – well, it's a catastrophic it, it, injury. I mean, this is something that you're you're going to live with the aches and pains and the recovery of the injury for the rest of your life. So it's very difficult to look at something so negative as being in any way positive. Yeah, I think it's a bit embarrassing to feel that that's what it takes to actually realize how to enjoy everyday life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but come on. Uh, people people don't learn lessons that well, especially some of us skydivers. Uh, you got to you got to beat it into us for sure. <laughs> but now yeah. so then you get back to jumping and then fucking covid hits. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's a bit of a sucker punch right there. Yeah, it's uh well, initially Initially, I didn't mind so much because I was like, I mean, when COVID actually came, I wasn't jumping yet. Mm. So there was there was actually six months uh, after it was I think it was six months after COVID that I actually started skydiving again. So when COVID first came, uh, I didn't really have any sympathy for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Everyone was like, oh, God, like, we can't do it. We can't go skydiving. We can't travel. I was like, guys, it's really beautiful here. Go hiking. Like, 
do you want to come paddle boarding with me? Let's go fishing. Like, uh, I was just like, this is awesome. I've got friends to hang out with. Uh, <laughs> you were like the, you were like the house cat that couldn't figure out why she was getting all of this attention all of a sudden. My people don't leave. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> But I, I just thought it was a good thing, honestly, because the lessons that I learned from having time away from it was really valuable. Mm. And um, I learned during my p- the period that it, it, it's, it is about how you see it. And I hear a lot of people like, oh, this like 2020 has been horrible. And they post these pictures of people like falling on their face. And it's like 2020. 2021 is like, uh, woohoo, You're it's right. going to be way better. Um but I think it's a choice in how you see it. Like, you know, everybody has something to do, no matter where they are. Sure. Um, that being said, I do live in a town of 100 people in a really beautiful place in the mountains. Um, I don't live in a small apartment in a big city. Uh, and that is a choice. Um, but uh, I think maybe I would uh, have a very different experience of COVID had that have been my reality. Sure. Um, well, I mean, everybody's experience is going to be a little bit different and everybody's coming at it from slightly different angles. Because I look at part of the lockdowns and stuff that we went through as being a positive and, and I got a shitload accomplished that I would not have ordinarily done. And then part of it was, uh, oh, crap, what comes next? And this is horrible. And so, I mean, it was a little bit of both. And I think most people kind of looked at it that way. That being said, mm. I still considered myself very lucky, as you did, to be in a place that I could kind of enjoy yeah which is good yeah i think i mean actually right now i'm kind of annoyed about it (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm in portugal and uh, i'm actually i chose to stay here for an extra month because there's a lot of really good friends here that are keen to fun jump and everybody like a lot of us worked on a boogie and then we got paid for the boogie and everybody's like fuck it let's just stay here in portugal and we're just going to jump together and I had all these ideas for video projects and things that I wanted to do and people I wanted to jump with. And, I mean, when does that happen? You never get a month to just fun jump with your friends in a beautiful place. Mm. And then all of a sudden, we're shutting down. It's like, no. <laughs> so it's um, well, hard to accept that one. And like you said, it's a good time to get other things done. So. Yeah, fair enough. Well, that just means that we're going to see a lot more of the older stuff that you've been doing, you're going to have to put a shitload more online and all those jumps that you didn't get around to posting need to go online so everybody can see what you're back up to, right? Yeah, yeah. See, there you go. (laughs) Now, speaking of, um, as we get towards the end of things, how do people track you down? How do they find you on social media, both you and the team? How do they see what's going on? Uh, Well, I'm very active on social media, mainly on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so Facebook, I have a, a private profile, but I also have an athlete page. Uh, but I think Instagram is the best place to follow me. There I'm, I'm daily uploading uh, my stories and maybe like three to four posts a week, depending on where I am and what I'm doing. Um, my style on social media is to be very open and uh, personal. So I share uh, a lot of uh, lifestyle things and kind of sharing like my struggles with my injury and uh, fears and challenges and what whatever I just share as much as I can on there without giving everything <laughs> um, so yeah uh, Instagram Facebook and then uh, uh, also we have uh, Team One Call uh, which is a team that both Espen and I are part of so a lot of content is being shared on there as well so awesome. that's a cool page to check out and it's not just us it's uh, speed flying and paragliding and uh, free flying wingsuiting so it's a, a team of really skilled people that uh, are constantly doing rad things awesome well I follow your Instagram page and I know you had uh, a relatively recent post uh, that was the progression of uh, your recovery after the injury and stuff that I thought was really cool um, and mm-hmm. a bunch of different posts that are quite a lot like that and, and I think there was even a picture of you uh, do, you've done a base jump back since haven't you because I believe I remember you posting yeah. a picture of you making the first base jump back. Yeah, I've done quite a lot. I've actually done, I think, about 50 base jumps <laughs> since I started jumping again. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we live in a place in Norway with a gondola that goes up to 1,000 uh, meters. Yep. 
so uh, it's just uh, five minutes from our house and we're on top of the mountain ready to do a base jump. So it's uh, it's easy to do lots of base jumps. <laughs> yep, yep. I was actually, the episode that is out right now, um, I was lucky enough to, to uh, steal your boyfriend away from you for a little while and talk to Espen. And he was telling me about the cable car ride right out the door and the jumping that he was doing. And he had to set the time for the interview to be when he got back from the mountains, which was very... <laughs> <laughs> I was jealous. <laughs> I was jealous. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what's the name on the Instagram? Is it your full name or is there a different handle to it? Uh, the name on my Instagram is my name, Amber, the number four, and then the letter T. Oh, isn't that creative? <laughs> Yeah. Somebody had my name, so I had to get creative. Well, there you go. There you go. Well, Amber, I'll tell you what, I cannot thank you enough. This is the first time that I've ever been able to talk to you, and I thought it would be a really cool idea to kind of have yours and Espen's episodes back to back because we talked about you briefly on his, and now we've talked about him on yours. And so, really, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your schedule for me. Awesome. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Once again, that's Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you, as always, by the greatest magazine in the known universe, Blue Skies Magazine. Head to blueskiesmag.com to check them out. Brought to you by the extreme sports collective, pussfoot.com. You want to find out? Type it in, pussfoot.com. Brought to you by Summit Parachute Systems. Summit Parachute Systems is Jarrett Martin, a badass rigger who's not only teaching people how to rig, he's also building the most incredible pilot rig. So go check him out. SummitParachuteSystems.com. And me, as always, I am the fucking pilot. Hit me up at thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Leads you to the same place. You're going to find links to all the podcasts that we've done, as well as both of the books, the fucking pilot book and the accidental stripper, as always, in digital and print. Thanks a lot.